Wonderful. Right, we're on. Thank you. Right. We are continuing in the creed today. If you've been with us, you'll have been following along with our series in the creed. And uh, today, we're getting on to the next bit. So this is all leading up to a commitment evening that we're going to have in February on the 3rd. It's a Saturday evening. It should be in your diaries already. If it's not, get it in your diaries, block it out, counsel what you were going to do, and be here. That is my encouragement. It's going to be a time when we commit ourselves together to continuing to follow God together as a body and follow the truth. We're going to read together the Apostles' Creed to start with. Okay? We've done this before, so let's go. Okay, you ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I hope I wasn't. If you're over that side, I might have been blocking you. Apologies for that. Um, I'm going to preach to you today from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read the first 17 verses of that to us now. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So I'm just going to pause. It was just great, wasn't it, to just have a talk of eternity during our worship and then to come to read this. I'll come back to that. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're looking at today at I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to be using particularly the verse 13, the second half of it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I want to pray for us just as we come to this as well. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, for, uh, for, for the ability to communicate your word, Lord. Uh, I, I ask you to continue what you've already started doing in people's hearts as they've been uh, preparing to come today, as, uh, as, as we've worshipped you together and you've started shining your light on things. I pray that the result of today would be healing from brokenness. Lord, I pray for forgiveness of sins to take place in the next hour. Lord, I pray uh, for, for you uh, to just be, yeah, to, be, to be mightily at work, Lord God, doing what you've purposed for today. Amen. It all starts at the top there of Colossians 3 with a transformation, uh, this, this change from death to life. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, this is what, what's, uh, what's happened for those in the church in Colossae. They've been raised with Christ. Paul starts talking about their attitudes and behaviors that align with their old sinful nature, and then he starts contrasting it with those sort of raised with Christ natures that they now have. Right at the center of that is forgiveness. And if you're a follower of Christ here today, as many of you are, it won't be your first encounter with forgiveness, I know. If you're not yet born again, stay tuned because it is good news. But are we just getting to the dreg ends of the creed? Are we just on some minor details that are added to the bottom? Or are we beginning to crescendo towards life everlasting? And I mean that both in terms of looking at the creed and in terms of our own lives that are all getting closer to our own glorious experience of life everlasting if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I was wondering if those who put the creed together that were there when it was assembled um, debated for long about what order to put it all in. Now, in many ways, it isn't really important because it just all needs to be there. It's all important. It's a complete set. We can't isolate them, but presented, they are presented in a sequence, aren't they? And, and I certainly think, I was going to say, I sounds really humble, this. I think they were right. Uh, I think it, was really, it really does make sense that the Trinitarian nature of God was established right at the top. I, I did ponder for a moment whether forgiveness of sins should have come before the communion of the saints, before... Uh, the, the Holy Catholic Church. But after listening to Rich last week, I'm utterly convinced that 
talking about the church as a body, uh, not, 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 not talking about just as individuals, but the fact that we're called in to be the body of Christ uh, makes it so important. Uh, of course, he referenced that we all came in through the blood of Jesus, and uh, that is so important on a, a personal level, but it's absolutely fundamental that it is a corporate thing as well. If the church is a living temple, as we saw in that beautiful picture of a dry stone wall or a, or a wall with all the different shapes and sizes, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so important that, that part of our experience is becoming part of the church. And we do come in on our, an individual basis of forgiveness, but we come into something that is bigger than just something we do on our own. And forgiveness doesn't actually work or make any sense without the existence of a God, a God who judges, a God who is triune, a God that descended and then descended again, and then he ascended, and then he ascended again. Without any of that, it would make uh, forgiveness uh, makes no sense. But we come today to a holy God, a one who loves us, a one who will save us. So as we accept that he's chosen the church to be his body with Jesus as its head, let's go all in. I have a question to start us off, which is, uh, and we can maybe even see another slide that... Uh, can you read that? I don't know. There we go. Let's see how this goes. Uh, our starting point, my starting point for you today is to ask you the question, have you recognized him yet? You could go back to some of the previous preachers in this series that describe this indescribable father of creation. I don't have time to repeat all of those, and you might be glad of that, but I bring it to our attention because Talking about forgiveness is only going to make sense in the context of a holy God, of a willing saviour, and of the Spirit's revelation. We could go back from, to Genesis. We could go through the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, his ministry, uh, all that he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We could look at the whole sweep of Scripture, and, and we would see... Uh, that it, the context of it is all pointing to Jesus. And that means it's all pointing to the forgiveness of sins. I've got a bit of a dilemma because I want to get straight on to forgiveness. I'm itching to talk about it. It is the best news ever. If it gets out, people hear it. They're going to be banging our doors down. We're going to get overrun with people. It is the best news ever, forgiveness. But I can't avoid it. There are two significant words that we are claiming that we believe this morning, as you all just said. They're inextricably linked, like Tom and Jerry or Chase and Marshall. They go together. Where there's one, there is the other. Sin and forgiveness. We're going to be talking about an exchange of guilt and shame for innocence and honour. But there would be no need for forgiveness if there was not sin. There would be no forgiven people if there had not first been sinners. 
There will be no honoured people unless there were first the dishonoured. So as we recognise a holy, triune, saving God, we're faced with the reality that whoever fails to keep the entirety of God's moral law and attains for themselves a righteousness that is unblemished will have fallen short. Those people are called sinners. And that was or is us. So the second thing we need to do is this. We need to realize our sin. Thank you, Josh. In Colossians 3, it starts us off with a list. From verse 5, it talks about what we should be putting to death. Those things that belong to our earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lies. For those of you that like a list, that gets you started. You could go to the Ten Commandments, which would give you some useful pointers as well. For example, having idols, blaspheming, not taking a Sabbath rest, not honoring your parents, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and coveting. Jesus refers to some of those and takes them further in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember it in Matthew 5, where he says, don't just not murder, but don't even be angry with your brother or sister. Maybe at different times the church has tried to find other ways to define sin. In the early church, the, the root of all sin was deemed to be covered by the list of lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. There are other lists in Galatians and in Romans and in Peter as well, if you want to have a look at your Bibles to get an indication of what sin is. Augustine used the definition, sin is a word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. You may remember the sordid episode in King David's life where he skips going to war and he sees Bathsheba and he's tempted and lust and envy get in. He goes on to commit adultery, doesn't he? And then he goes on, uh, he gets manipulative and then he tries to cover up the impact of his sin and then he eventually arranges Isaiah's murder. God saw it all. God sees it all. Bathsheba, Isaiah, the baby are all impacted really badly by David's sin. Where there is sin, there are perpetrators and there are victims. Those categories often overlap. David acknowledged this. He acknowledged this sin in Psalm 51. We can read his words in the light of what had happened. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David recognizes that it's not just bad behaviors. He recognizes that this was in his nature, inherited from Adam. It was systemic and from conception. David knows and admits he is guilty as charged. I'm going to take us to the story in Matthew 18, where Jesus tells a parable. He says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. This the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. Realizing we are sinful in nature, that we do have a debt to pay, is a truth we need to know. It's a place we need to acknowledge. We've got to realize that we are dead in our sins, that we're sinners by nature. Maybe we might recall specific thoughts or actions or things said, but they're just revealing that sinful nature. So is there any hope for us? Now I can get a bit more excited. The good news is coming. David, he realized his need for forgiveness. And he realizes where that comes from. So if we go back to Psalm 51, we see that what he says is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. His appeal is to God's love and mercy. He admits he's unable to cleanse himself. And like David, we can appeal to God's love and to his mercy. And in Matthew 18, it says, The servant's master took pity on him, counseled the debt, and let him go. I mean, the man had fallen to his knees and begged not for forgiveness. He just begged for time. He thought he was going to repay the debt. The point of the story is the debt is so large, it is unpayable. However much time he was to have. But as an act of mercy, the master, what does he do? He chooses to go infinitely beyond what the man asks for or probably had even imagined. And he graciously deals with the debt. He forgives him. So our next point is that we do need to receive forgiveness. God is the king. God legally counsels the debt owed. That's what God does for us. We might hope for a bit more time to balance our accounts, to do some good things where we used to do bad things, to give back more than we've stolen, 
to say more kind things than the judgmental things we've said. But we're not looking to partner with Jesus, opening a joint account, ready to share in paying for our sins, or doing our best and then him covering the deficit, or him giving us a starting boost and then leaving us to finish the job with a few good works. No, Jesus bears the cost. The debt doesn't evaporate. Sin doesn't get ignored. Jesus pays it all. Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus goes to the cross. And then, what about us? We die to our sinful nature, and we are raised up with Christ. That's what it said at the top of Colossians 3. Go back to it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is what God does for us. And it doesn't even finish there. He also gives us righteousness. Not just the absence of sin, but the fullness of his righteousness, that it drapes over us like a robe, dignifying us as his children and his heirs, giving us honor in the place of shame, no longer subject to the enemy's condemnation. We are no longer subject to the enemy's condemnation. We are no longer subject to the enemy's condemnation. For those here that are Christians, we at one point must have funneled through a similar moment when we prayed a prayer that might have gone something like this. Lord Jesus... I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Saviour. Take complete control of my life. Help me walk in your footsteps daily by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for answering my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And as you prayed, you transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that prayer must, will have included this thank you for answering my prayer. Well, what prayer are we thanking him for answering for us in that moment? The prayer is for forgiveness for our sins. God promises that he will answer that prayer. And that marks the beginning of a wonderful, if sometimes challenging, journey of faith as Christ begins the work of conforming us to his image, bringing our attitudes and actions in line with this new nature that he's given us. If you've, Dan, can I borrow the handheld mic a minute? If you've, if you've prayed the prayer and you know forgiveness, I just want to do a quick survey. I want to get a, a word or two that might, for you, Describe part of what happened when you were forgiven. Okay, so uh, 
what did you feel when you were forgiven? What, how would you express what happened when you were forgiven? Just stick your hand off if you've got a word you can use. And I'll just grab it. Go on, Tracy. Thank you. Clean. Felt clean. Wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. Anyone else got one? Oh, there we go. Thank you, Chris. Delight. Delight. Delighted with receiving forgiveness. Did I see your hand over here? I don't realize how far it is around this building. It's relief. Relief. Excellent. Relief. Did anyone else feel relief? Yeah? Free. 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 Anyone else feel free? Yeah? Anyone else got another one? Chain at the back here. Oh, I come all the way to the back. Weight off your shoulders. Weight off the shoulders. Very good, very good. Lammy. Peace. Peace. Peace, yeah. People identifying with that as well? Peace. Loved. Loved. Humbled. Humbled. Oh, great words, great words. Are we getting a feel of what it feels like to be forgiven? I'll risk it. Start feeling joy again. Joy. Yes, that was on my list, Barney. Joy. Love that one. I'll pause it there. I'm getting, I'm getting out of breath. That's <laughs> how big this room was. You can't try and cover it in multiple directions. Great feelings, yeah? Great feelings. Uh, but those feelings, okay, they're, they're the result of being forgiven. Okay, they're not... Uh, just what forgiveness is. Okay, it's worth remembering that at some point, those feelings that we had when we first uh, realized that we were forgiven uh, may get swamped by some other feelings as well, some half-truths and some lies that the enemy might whisper in our ear. We need to, we need to be alive to that. Uh, and, and the best way to do that is what Jesus tells us to do, funnily enough. He tells us to keep taking the bread and the wine and remembering what is actually true, that he died for us. He shed his blood. That's what makes us forgiven. Not the great feelings we experienced when we first realized we were forgiven, but, those, uh, but, but, but what he actually did. It's a moment where we can confess our sins and humbly allow ourselves to accept God's cleansing again. My final point is to reciprocate. And this is where we come to verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now you might be thinking already on to point four, wrapping up. Well, I can forgive you for thinking that. Um, and you might need to forgive me because I've got a bit further to go on this one. I'm expecting that people think that this is a great idea, forgiving other people, uh, especially as we are the family of God. But it's not always easy, is it? I think we need to talk about that. I want to start by asking us the question that's a bit of an inverse question, which is, is it possible to receive God's forgiveness but choose not to forgive other people? Is that possible? I'm going to attempt to answer that question by looking at a couple of directions <clears throat> from God's word. 
So in his word, God gives some quite serious warnings about attempting to take that approach. He does it more than once, and he does it in his own words. If we go back to Matthew 18 and continue with our story of the unmerciful servant, it says, uh, so, so the forgiven servant, the story goes on the forgiven servant, uh, goes and finds someone that owes him some money, and horrifyingly, uh, he, he, he tries to extract the payment from his fellow servant, which is just insignificant compared to what he's been forgiven of. And then it says in, if we skip down to verse 34, it says in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Sorry, it's quite a heavy warning, isn't it? In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do we need any more warning, people? Warnings are a wake-up call for the hard-hearted, and they're a guardrail for the soft-hearted. When they're heeded, they bring life. Jesus guides those that are ready to respond to this warning to prayer. In Matthew 6, it is a direct comment on the teaching he's just been giving on how to pray. He says, this is how to pray. Our Father, blah, blah, blah. Forgive us our... Sorry, blah, blah, blah sounds a bit... Etc., uh, etc. Et forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is a prayer that can usher in the wonderful inevitability that we can embrace that forgiven people forgive people. A merciful servant, unlike the one in Matthew 18, would, before God, have cancelled his fellow servant's debt and every debt owed him. It's a joyful inevitability because Jesus says that knowing God's forgiveness is inseparable from forgiving others. I've got a picture that might help us of a bridge. There's a clue. It's a bridge. Now, Maybe this will help us. What's this a picture of? It's a bridge. It's, is, it, is it to allow, my question is, is it to allow cars to drive over it or is it to allow cars to drive under it? Who thinks it's over? Yep. Who thinks it's under? Okay, and who worked out it's a trick question and it's both? Very good. Well done, everybody. It's not one thing, a bridge. It is... It's, it's, it's not, sorry, it is one thing. It's not two things. You can't have just a bridge that goes over something that isn't there. You can't, if a bridge isn't there, there's nothing to go. It just doesn't work. A bridge must 
by definition, go over and under. They're inseparable. My point is, I think what the Bible is saying is that you either live in forgiveness or you don't. Which is why it's inevitable that forgiven people will forgive. And we might be helped also to remember that that desire and ability to forgive others doesn't come from our old nature. We're not going to find it in ourselves. It comes from our new, our new forgiven nature, the one he's given us. Maybe we could do a little bit of what, we, uh, what came out earlier about thinking about eternity and looking at this a little bit from heaven's perspective. We know that eternity promises to be a place where there will be no more sickness or pain, no more sin. Uh, so I guess in that there won't be any need for forgiveness either. Um, if there is no sin. Uh, and so in that sense, I guess no one will be trying to avoid each other in heaven. And Jesus teaches us to pray as well, your kingdom come. So if the church is a foreshadowing of heaven, then it would increasingly be a place where no one is avoiding anyone and forgiveness is flowing between brothers and sisters. I believe that's what God would want to see in his holy Catholic church. Perhaps we can create for ourselves a belief that we should forgive some sins that are committed against us, but others are in some sort of special category of unforgivable or not yet. When we're impacted by someone else's sin, like some angry outburst from them or some attempt from them to exercise some control over us or, or maybe a, a parent's neglect during childhood or maybe I shouldn't have started trying to list... Uh, uh, there's, there's so many, many sins that uh, impact us in this broken world. We can be so tempted to believe the lie that forgiveness isn't an option in some situation. What fills the void? Resentment fills the void. If, the, if, the, if there's a real offence, a real problem, then it will have a real reaction I might feel all sorts of emotions that I might express or I might suppress them. But eventually it all comes out like a, a lava flow under an Icelandic village. Cracks begin to appear. Any moment there could be an eruption. Overflowings likely to come out in the form of continued resentment, of a, a kind of a desire to hold the person to account to see them punished, to try and make them change. But we can invite the Holy Spirit in. We can let his light shine in. and We can see it resolved by forgiveness. If you watch the news, and you don't have to, and you can ration it, then you might occasionally have seen people coming out of court hearings after a case has finished and kind of doing that thing where they make a statement. And often you hear the words come out of their mouth, I could never forgive. I will never forgive. The punishment wasn't severe enough. And maybe our, our human nature can uh, 
feel ready to empathize. Occasionally, a Christian comes out, someone that clearly has been forgiven. They understand that God's love is deeper, wider, higher than any harm the enemy could inflict on them. They come out and they say, yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I'm sad, but I choose to forgive. They refuse to live in bitterness and resentment. They know that that isn't their inheritance and that forgiveness is their inheritance. These extreme stories can uh, amaze and inspire us. And we might think our issues are just small in comparison, but the principle runs through them. We can only apply them to our own pain, our own situation, but we must. A favorite story is, is from Corrie ten Boom, who risked her life to shelter Jews during World War II. She was caught and sent to a concentration camp where she continued to live a life of faith. She miraculously survived the camp, although her sister was killed there. She recounted this story that happened a couple of years after the war. There is a picture of Corrie who may be put up there. She says, I was in Berlin. There came a man to me and said, ah, Miss Ten Boom, I'm glad to see you. Don't you know me? Suddenly I saw that man. He was one of the most cruel overseers, the guards in the concentration camp. That man said, I am now Christian. I found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. I've asked God's grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. Fräulein Ten Boom, you're forgiven. Will you forgive me? She says this. I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw that I could not forgive, I knew that I myself had no forgiveness. Do you know what Jesus said about that? When you do not forgive the sins of those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus to come real quick because I have no forgiveness for my sins. I was not able. I could not. I could only hate him. Then, she says, I took one of those beautiful texts, one of those boundless resources, Romans 5, verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who was given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred. This is what happened. It says at that same moment, I was free, and I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You've never touched the ocean of God's love as when you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No, I can't either. But he can.
This is not something we do with our old nature. It's something that God does in us, in our new nature. I don't know if you've experienced that for yourself in some situation where you've known God help you in your new nature to forgive someone that you needed to forgive. The Bible is full of complex and difficult examples, difficult situations, and every generation has to work out what it means for them, every individual has to apply it in their life. Sometimes we need a healthy application of Matthew 18, verses 15, where it talks about dealing with sin in the church, where you may need to talk to someone. But there'll be plenty of times when you don't. You need to forgive them. They don't even need to know. You don't need to place on somebody a condition that they need to change in a way that you think is right or the way you think they ought to. They might not even be a Christian. They might have no understanding of forgiveness. I can think of previous, I emphasize previous work colleagues that I consider treated me unjustly in my life and that God enabled me to forgive. They have no idea. I carried on relating to them in the context I was in. I trusted God's purpose in it all. Of course, it influenced how I related with them. Relationships are continually changing, aren't they? Informed by many things. But God requires us freely to forgive everyone. And we don't have to live with any kind of dependency on others agreeing with us, hearing our complaint, or changing, becoming somehow blameless. God knowing about it can be enough. He can bring us into freedom himself. We are the free. We are the free and we're instructed not to be enslaved by any kind of legalism, not tolerating any kind of control. We can resist attempts of any attempts uh, that might come to try and impose any legalism on us, even unwitting ones. Galatians 5 tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom, forgiveness leads us into freedom. And like God did with Corrie, he enables us to forgive as he forgave us. That was God's decision. He planned that ahead. He planned that ahead and he sent Jesus that it might be the case. He is that committed to forgiving us. There's one more slide, I think, which uh, will take us round and complete. You might have uh, anticipated the final arrow. Um, just the one before, I think it is. Or, uh, no, the one after. Is there one more after? 
Scroll one more. There we go. There it is. One more arrow there up at the top. Um, I, I think what better way to, to recognize and to know God better than to join him in the acts of forgiveness. Do you ever say that you want to be more like Jesus? Here's an opportunity. Jesus isn't holding out, uh, holding on to resentment uh, towards us. Jesus isn't dwelling on disappointment in us. Again and again, he forgives us. He's patient with us. He invites us to come and confess our sins and receive forgiveness. Circling back to Colossians. On a land where, uh, towards where, where Paul uh, goes in this, in this section, and just reflect on some things that go along with forgiveness. He says, with God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Oh, thank you, Lord. With your holy people, chosen and dearly loved. We need that as a foundation in our thinking. He gives some alternative lists, uh, an alternative list to some of the sin he's articulated before. As he encourages us to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says we should bear with each other and forgive one another. And he says to put on love. And he says, let peace rule in your hearts. And he says, be thankful. Just want to give you a couple of moments to respond for yourself, to maybe think about where you might be on that loop. Are you needing to recognize God, his sovereignty, his goodness, his holiness, his love for you, his desire for you? Do you you need to realize your sin if you haven't before? Or do you need to realize that it was left at the bottom of the baptismal pool? That you have a new nature This is something for you to receive this morning in terms of forgiveness, in terms of a robe of righteousness. Are you wearing yours? Are you living in the truth of God's daily forgiveness? Or is God putting his finger on something for you to reciprocate? Is there a debt you need to cancel? Do you need to convert some resentment into some forgiveness? That might be for a friend or for an enemy, for someone alive or no longer alive. It might be for someone that asks for it and realizes they need it or they don't. That doesn't stop you. Forgiveness for them can be yours today. Just take a couple of minutes.